forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I know how to parallel park. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, weak, and Melissa is slapping a ruler against her hand in a way that is very alluring. Gabby, you can't hit on our producer. We have to have a, a, a safe work environment. But I know Melissa's not into me, so it's fine. Okay, that is not how sexual <laughs> harassment in the workplace works. Thank you. All right. You think that she doesn't know what she's doing sitting there slapping a ruler against her hand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what am I meant to do with that? I'm a simple man. I'm only human. <sighs> this is just between us, a variety <laughs> show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous game. And brutal honesty. And just like light sexual harassment. Oh, no. So what are you getting better at parallel parking? I'm not sure. I can do it. I, I actually, look, I've had a few successes lately. Of parallel parking? Yeah, where I thought, pretty good, Allison. I'm up on the curb. I'm, oh, not, yeah. I'm not doing a good no, job. No, on the way here, I, I think I hit the curb. But <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. So that counts. I Look, I'm, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel ways to describe myself 200 episodes in. Sure. I, uh, let, me, let me bring a conundrum from TikTok to here on the show. Hit me. Okay. On TikTok, I said that I wanted to use a picture of my partner's hair to uh-huh. show my hairdresser how to do my hair. And my Mal would not let me do it. Right. And then the majority of TikTok, I know I would say it's, it's like 60-40, where the people of TikTok have said that that is unacceptable. To copy your partner's hairstyle. Yes. Yeah, but we were talking about this earlier, and you weren't intending to copy the whole hairstyle because your hair is not even long enough. You just wanted to copy their sideburns, which feels different to me. Yes. But I, Mal's hair also lays differently than mine. So I, my argument was even if I got their same haircut, my hair's floofy and their hair's floppy. Well, as I said earlier, yeah, Mal said, please don't do that. And then you wanted to do it anyway. No, Mal said, please don't do that. And then I went on TikTok and said, why won't they let me do it? Which I think is mature. It's so funny. Like you talk about boundaries all the time and how you set up boundaries with your family and everybody. But like you never seem to respect Mal's boundaries. <laughs> Is it bad? Is is it bad that it's little bit because it's funny? Like, yeah, they, that's bad. Yeah, I know. They don't want me to. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. They don't want me to wear the same cologne as them. And I think that's and you that's do it fair. I should get rid of my little sample size of their cologne. To be fair, they got a bunch of samples of different colognes. Then they chose one. And then I've just been cycling through the samples. And it happened that one day they were wearing their cologne. And I happened to use the sample of the cologne they chose. And then they thought that I was copying their signature scent. Right. There is nothing worse than copying someone's signature scent. (laughs) Signatures in the title. I know. uh, I know. And also, I, I, okay, here's the thing, though. As I transition, I'm getting rid of clothes. And I'm sh- wait, you're transitioning. <laughs> oh wow, we're really that's back the, to this that's again. The updated version. Wow, that's the updated version.
version of when Allison used to pretend she didn't know I was bi. <laughs> what a deep cut. Yeah. So I know this mustache is for fun. Uh, so I have been getting rid of my girl clothes and I'm doing it slowly, I think, because I have this like, you know, this like fear in the back of my head that I think may be relatable to a lot of trans people where I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe one day I'll I'll completely change my mind and I'll want to be like a Christian housewife and I'll need to keep this dress. Like it's deeply internalized transphobia. So I like have some female clothes still there, but I haven't completely replaced my wardrobe because it's expensive. So Mal has more acceptable clothes than I do. So sometimes the only thing I want to wear is Mal's pants. After they've said, please don't do that. Well, I think them saying no is transphobic. And I and my, in this essay, I will. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mal's also trans, FYI. But yeah, no, I know. I just, I like will look at my clothes and get deeply upset and be like, I don't have anything that looks right on me. And then they have two pairs. They have multiple pairs of pants. It's not like they can be wearing all their pants at once. So why can't I have a pair? <laughs> I look, I can't speak for Mal, but um. You, you can't keep just plowing past their boundaries <laughs> like that. No, fine. Okay, I'll get my own signature scent. Get I your own signature scent. I won't steal their haircut. Yeah. I will maybe try to go to the same barber, and I think that's fair. That that person you can is have allowed the same to take stylist. as many clients okay. as their <laughs> that is uh, that person's business. Um, although I have enjoyed, I go to this barbershop across the street from my house, and I have been enjoying that because it's like a fun like a community barbershop where like they have the door open, they're playing music and like, uh, the people, you know, people from the area are there. It's not like a hip barbershop. It's not like a salon. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have been enjoying that from a community standpoint and because I could walk there. But I, I also often come home and say, oh, my sideburns are uneven. So <laughs> that's the toss up that you can walk there, but you also may have to recut your own sideburns. It's so cheap to get your hair cut as a dude. It's so cheap. It's yeah. like it's like twenty bucks. Oh wow! Anyway, we've got <laughs> we've got a great episode for everyone today. We're gonna be talking to Dr. Catherine Scott all about spiders. It's a spiders episode. Sex and spiders, spider communication, spider myths and mythbusters. It was fascinating. My mouth is open in shock. The whole I was gonna the whole say, interview. Both of us are 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 like gaping in amusement and shock and. Uh, and just wild enjoyment, I would say, the entire time. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, and later, we're going to be talking all about scandalous dancing, which will make more sense once we get to topics. No, I think it makes sense. Okay. It doesn't. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question. Sheena, Melbourne, Australia, Australia. I think people know Melbourne, but maybe not. Yeah, but it's international, so you gotta say where it's from. I said Melbourne. Critiques over here. Jeez, Louise. Every time I say Ozzy, 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 Oi, Oi, Oi. They love that. I'm sure they do. (laughs) Okay. Sheena says, "Dear Allison and Gabby." I appreciate both of you so very much and I'm so grateful for your generosity and vulnerability in sharing so much of yourselves over the past 10 years. You've helped more people than you'll ever know. So nice. My name is Sheena from Melbourne, 33, genderqueer, and use she, they pronouns. 
Over the past two and a half years, I've learned so much about my sexuality, gender identity, and expression, pursued and received an autism and ADHD diagnosis, changed careers, lost friends, and set boundaries I never thought possible. While I'm still trying to figure out my own wants, needs, labels, and identity, I don't feel truly understood by even some of my closest friends. And that's why I decided to write in to internet mates on the couch in the hopes that you'll be able to. That's us. While I've always dressed extremely femininely, I now wear more masculine, gender-neutral clothing, and I'm getting a chest reduction, going from an E-cup to hopefully a B, which I could not be more thrilled and excited for. I have been invited to my dear friend's wedding next year, and I'm a crossroads as to what I'm going to wear on the day after reading their invitation, which included the following dress code. Our wedding will be formal slash cocktail attire. Ladies, please have fun with dress colors. We encourage all the colors of our flowers. This isn't a regular wedding. It's a cool wedding. Moment of moment of silence for people who I, say their wedding is a cool wedding. I, okay, <laughs> okay. Then straight, um, I have a question: Are straight people okay? I don't think so. Okay. I'm not okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> when I read this, I instantly felt sick because of the gendered instructions. I asked them to clarify if they wanted everyone to wear bright colors or just the ladies, reminding them I'm not a lady. They said they included that line because they didn't want men to go out and buy something colorful just for the sake of it. And that whatever I decide to wear will be perfect. But as an autistic person that is learned through trauma that people don't always mean what they say, I'm so confused as to what will be appropriate to wear, but also don't want to be forced to wear something I don't feel comfortable in. The color theme is bright purple, pinks, blues, and orange. Even wearing bright colors gives me gender dysphoria. And I don't know if I'll even feel myself wearing a dress again after I have my chest reduction. What should I wear? Any suggestions for inspiration? This will be my first wedding since the pandemic, and I don't have a clue. Help. Oh, boy. Okay, so two things going on here. One, uh, when you talk about your friends and understanding you, I feel like it is difficult to go through a gender exploration with friends who are largely not even not even heterosexual, but cisgender. I feel like it's a little bit difficult because you are standing out in your friend group. You might be the only one that like they wouldn't, you know, like the only one who raised this to them, they feel comfortable amongst their friends saying, ladies, wear this and splitting the dress code gender, you know, gender wise. And if they feel comfortable doing that, they probably, they probably, not that they weren't thinking of you, but that they probably don't have a lot of enough people at the wedding or enough people in their lives that they would think, you know what, this might not be a good idea to say. And that's really hard. And I think as you go further along in, in, exploring gender, you tend to find more friends who do understand you in that way. That doesn't mean you have to get rid of the other friends. It just means that you're able to like fill those gaps a little better with people who do understand you. And that is hard. And it does feel like grieving. And it does feel like a loss when you can't really relate to other people, those other people anymore in in certain ways. And it's terrifying to do that. And it's, it's something that caused me a lot of stress and a lot of of um, sadness. And there are Friends of mine, I will say like friends of mine who identify as lesbians who have not been as close to me and have sort of, and I don't know if they consciously are doing it because of gender, but I think that there is a a weird rift that, that whether it's big or small, that sort of happens naturally. And I've seen it happen and I've, I've experienced it. Now for this wedding... I think that you are being very kind and very thoughtful in in trying to accommodate these things. I think that 
this is an instance where you can take them at their word. They do mean what they're saying. They probably just didn't think about you, which again sucks. But I think that they do mean what they're saying and they're not going to be thinking of you at the wedding, really. Like they're just going to be happy that you're there. And then on the day of, they're not going to be like, change your clothes. They really won't care. Um, It's not going to matter in the long run. But I do think it brings up anxieties that you should examine in yourself that um, are that have to do with moving, moving further along on your gender journey in a way that you like you feel comfortable. You're not going to feel comfortable right away. Everything feels really awkward. I feel awkward right now. Everything feels extremely awkward for me in these like stages. Right. Like even like, you know, pre top surgery, whatever I am like it, it, it is there is awkwardness. I don't know what I'm wearing. I don't know what looks right. I don't know what looks like, you know, I have my bangs down in front of my head. And then someone was like, it would look more masculine if you did this because men don't really have bangs anymore. Like there's so many little things that you're just like thinking about that other people aren't really thinking about. But also like you could nitpick yourself to death. Like it's really difficult to be in these like what. But like also. I think that there are areas where I will stay in the middle ground. What is the middle ground? What does that even mean? So that being said, probably like a green suit. <laughs> I love that you make that it is so complicated and you had such a clear specific answer. I think like a, like a like because it's colorful but it's also muted so like maybe like a forest green kind of suit. Well, they they also said blue was a flower, right? And I think navy looks really good on every navy every does skin look good tone. on everyone. Yeah, like a good navy suit will do you well. So yeah. if like you haven't had a suit, you know, you haven't maybe bought a suit since this gender journey. Like mm-hmm. it could be something great to have in your wardrobe that you can also wear to this wedding, but mm-hmm. that you'd be able to wear to other weddings in the future too. Very true. While still being in their colors, right? Very true. But I think Gabby is really correct about the fact that this feels like an instance where your friends are telling you the truth that like it was more of an oversight versus like them going to be upset if you don't wear a specific thing. Like I right. think if you've gotten that okay from them, then really prioritize yourself, prioritize what you want. Like think of this as like kind of like a fun first time for you to dress in this new way yeah. for a big event, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of like exciting and and get something that you feel really good in and that you're excited and that maybe you'd want to wear again but I would again have to think that they'd be really shitty friends for you to if they care if they they care at all yeah especially if they're expecting non-female identifying people to dress more mute like muted muted. yeah I really think that you can like wear anything I think you could do like a pop of color maybe like a pink what's it called a oh, pocket square. Oh, fun. You know, yeah. like a pocket square. I got a really great navy suit at a thrift store, so you don't really have to spend a lot of money. And they also, like, department stores will have kind of nice suits that are not super expensive. I think, yes. I, I do think that this is less, maybe, maybe, it's le- it's less about the wedding itself and more about you wondering, one, if people are being direct with you. To the anxiety that comes with that, which is you're different. You've come gone through a journey. You're exploring. You're changing. Are people telling you the truth through that journey? Are are people expecting different things from you, treating you differently? And that's not a worry that doesn't have legs. Like that's that's a that's a a worry that is not baseless. That does happen. So I think that you should give yourself some grace. Because these are big steps and these are 
these are things that take up a lot of real estate in your brain. My brain is like 85% figuring out gender stuff right now. I don't think it'll always be that way. But little things like this wedding, like choosing what to wear to a wedding, become incredibly dramatic and stressful when you are exploring gender. I, I saw a picture of myself in a suit where the suit uh, cut in a little because w- uh, women's suits cut in to give you a waist. And I was upset for 24 hours. <laughs> like it's it'd be it'd be like that, you know, like and it's going to seem small, but it's it. None of it is small. So getting and getting dressed is hard. I talked about in the introduction how choosing clothes stresses me out and that if I can just put on my partner's big pants, I feel better. I got to get my own big pants, which what a metaphor. But yeah, I mean, I think I think clothes are really stressful. Someone I'm dating, I wanted to I wanted to get them something clothes wise. And they were like, it's actually too stressful. They're a trans guy too. And they're like, it's actually too stressful for me to have people buy me clothes because I, I don't like, it's, I just, I haven't got a handle on it yet. And I know that sounds, I know it's like, oh, clothes. Like it sounds small, but like, it's not small. And, and I think your anxieties are valid and you should give yourself some, some room and some space and, and not be like, why am I anxious? And on top of the anxiety because the anxiety is real it's real and a green suit navy a navy suit navy green. and a little pink pocket square orange pocket square burnt orange pocket square <laughs> i think yeah i mean go go explore what feels good you know i think that like if you're able to like to go try on a couple different things like yeah. you know because i think like you probably don't quite yet know what you want to wear at this stage for you and so think more like what do I like what do I feel good in versus like because you you I believe have been giving carte blanche to wear whatever you yes. want to this wedding and if you're gonna have your reduction before the wedding I would then maybe try on the outfits wearing a binder so that it's a little bit of a more accurate read on how the jacket will fit that's a little hot tip very smart none of my jackets fit. I've been on testosterone for like five months and none of my I don't notice huge changes, but none. I tried on some blazers and none of them fit me anymore because your shoulders, the like way your shoulders are, get broader and change. And so I'm like, I have to get rid of a lot of my jackets because they don't. I look like, I look like like Chris Farley in the little coat. <laughs> Is that exciting though? Uh, it's wild. I mean, I was gonna get rid of them anyway because again, women's suits have that little like dip in them. But I was surprised because I don't notice anything about myself. And then like Mal was like oh, your shoulders are broader, so they don't fit you anymore. It's weird. It's great, but I now I got to get rid of everything and I got to buy all new stuff. And I already bought all new stuff after I had a breast reduction. And now if I get top surgery, I got to buy all new stuff again. <sighs> it's expensive to find yourself. Yeah, it's really expensive to find yourself. <laughs> Hopefully that helped. If you want to submit an international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Catherine Scott. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. 
tough questions. This week on the show, our guest is Dr. Catherine Scott, an arachnologist based at McGill University in Montreal. She mainly studies spider behavior and ecology, with much of her work focused on black widow spiders and their relatives. A former arachnophobe, Catherine is passionate about correcting myths and misconceptions about spiders and helping others shift their own fears to fascination. Hello, spiders episode. Spiders, spiders, spiders. <laughs> Woo! Yes! Gabby has been jonesing for this for years at this point. <laughs> so tell us, we got a little taste of it, but tell us why spiders. So I got into spiders totally accidentally. Uh, I got a summer job uh, in a laboratory helping a PhD student who was studying the communication, the vibratory communication of black widows and other spiders. And I really wanted to get experience in a biology lab studying animal behavior. And so I applied for the job, even though I was terrified of spiders and had been like ever since I was a kid, like I'd never looked closely at a spider. If there was a spider in my room, I'd freak out and scream and call my mom. And she would like very calmly come and pick up the spider (laughs) and take it away. So I didn't learn it from her, but I was terrified. But I'm the sort of person who likes to face my fears you know, I'm also afraid of heights and my dad and my brother are too, but they would always make me climb up the ladder to put up the <laughs> Christmas lights and stuff like that. So I was like, I can do this. I'll just have to deal with it if I'm afraid of spiders. And I started working with black widows and learning about them and their behavior and how they talk to one another and, and literally sort of trying to translate their language. And I immediately fell in love with them and that was it. And I have been studying them for over a decade since. I need to know about their language and how they talk to each other. Tell us. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's mainly what my research was about for both my master's degree and my PhD. So I started learning about their vibratory communication. And so spiders, they're very different from us. It's hard to relate to them. And I get why people sort of find them creepy because they're just their whole, their sensory world and, and everything about how they sort of do things and communicate is, is difficult for us to relate to. So black widows are sort of your typical kind of web building spider, which means they have very poor vision. They essentially can tell the difference between light and dark, like if a shadow comes over them. But other than that, they, they, they don't see images like we do. So it's like, imagine you're living in a totally dark world and your main senses are your sense of touch and vibrations. And so spiders and Black widows in particular are extremely sensitive to vibrations and they they hear the, the sounds through their legs and they communicate through the silk of their web. And so the web is, sent, is essentially an extension of the female black widow's sensory system. And as soon as an insect lands on the web and causes it to vibrate, she can tell exactly where that insect is and rush out and grab it and, and subdue it. But the first thing I studied was actually how does the female black widow tell the difference between an insect on her web and a male? Because male black widows have to basically arrive at the female's web and announce that they're there without her rushing out to eat them. And so we used a laser to measure the vibrations that were transmitted through the web from the male to the female and from insects to the female to understand what's the male saying that's different from insects that tells the female I'm a male, don't eat me. Also, I'm sexy and and you should mate with me. So that's that's one of the main forms of communication that they use is vibrations. But before the male arrives at the female's web, he has to find her. The females kind of hang out on their own web for their whole life, but the males grow up somewhere else. And then once they mature, they do this incredibly weird and wonderful thing where first of all, they have to charge their pedipalps. 
What is a pedipalp? Yeah, quick primer on, on the reproductive organs of spiders. So you can tell if a spider is male or female based on the pedipalps, which are little leg-like appendages in front of the face. So spiders have eight legs. This is this is a spider. Count them. One, two, three, four. Five, Catherine six, is seven, showing uh, their tattoo of a spider. A incredible yes. tattoo. <laughs> eight legs. And then these two little guys in front that are kind of tiny little like arms or, yeah. or much smaller leg-like appendages in front of the face. Those are called the pedipalps. Where you would think like an antler would be. Yeah. Um, or often when people see an image of a spider, they think they're the fangs, but yeah. they're not. They're, uh, they're just like okay. little feelers kind of. Okay. Um, and so the pedipalps on a female are just kind of thin and leg-like, but on a male, it looks like the male is wearing uh, mittens or boxing gloves. And those are actually his intramittent organs, but they're not connected to his gonads. So he has to build a special web called the sperm web, deposit a droplet of sperm onto it, and then suck the sperm up into his hands, which are like little turkey basters. And then he carries the sperm in those pedipalps and then stuffs it into the female uh, for mating. It's totally bizarre. He has uh, to carry his sperm the- around in his little hand <laughs> and then just punch it into the woman. It's it's not so much punching, but it is it is very complex. The the black widows actually the part that interacts with the female's genitalia is corkscrew shaped, and then she has corresponding like corkscrew shaped ducts that oh. lead to her sperm storage organs. So he kind of has to like it goes in wow. like a corkscrew through hydraulic pressure. So he has to kind of pump the sperm down through this corkscrew like duct into her sperm storage organs. And their sperm is also weird. It's encapsulated, so it can survive for a long time. So once it's in the female sperm storage organs, she can just hang on to it for like a year before she decides to use it. What? She decides yes. like, now I'm ready to use this for pregnancy? Yeah. What if she could, could are you, do you get filled up like in multiple male spiders put sperm in you? Yeah, so so multiple spiders can mate with the same female. She's got two two openings that correspond to the male's two sperm transfer organs. And so she could let the first male like only fertilize her on one side and keep the other side open in case she wants to mate with someone else. And then and then um, she can there's sperm mixing at the time when she she uses the sperm to fertilize her eggs. So then she could have a mixed brood that would be about 50-50 paternity. Or if the first male copulates on both sides, and then a second male comes along and copulates on both sides. It's first in, first out. So the first male's sperm would be used first. And then the second male's, because um, black widows and, and many spiders can make multiple egg sacs and kind of like the black widows at least tend not to run out of sperm. Like one, one copulation is enough to fertilize their lifetime supply of eggs, but uh, it can be beneficial to, to mate with more than one male to have um, genetic diversity for their offspring. Or often they'll mate with the first male that comes along just in case, especially in a situation where the population is quite dispersed. Like if there aren't a lot of other spiders around and the female comes to the point where she's mature and you know it's a while before a male arrives, she'll mate with him like just in case there's never any other male to choose from. But then she might sort of trade up to a sexier male who comes along after the fact. And then, sorry, I like, I was starting to talk about communication, but- No, um, no I, have, I have a million more questions. Okay, and so <laughs> yeah. what determines like a sexier male for a, a black widow spider? How do they tell what, who's a good match? Totally, so it kind of depends, but we think in general, bigger males are, are better. 
but not just, not just bigger, also like heavier, like heavier for your size means that you've been really good at capturing prey and kind of, we call that good body condition. So, you know, like lots of, lots of resources, but also with black widows, I think, yeah, if, if you kind of have two males on a female's web and she's deciding between them, she would probably choose the heavier male or the larger male. And if those two males are fighting, which they sometimes do, probably the larger, heavier male would win. But the smaller males have sometimes what's called a sneaker tactic. Well, the bigger male is, is kind of busy showing off, doing courtship behavior, vibrating the web. And part of his courtship repertoire is kind of plucking the web and uh, vibrating his abdomen, like twerking with his little butt. And then, and then the other male, well, the first male is busy doing that. He might just kind of swoop in and try to copulate with the female while the other male is, is busy courting and showing off. And so sometimes the smaller male can use that sneaker top tactic to get one copulation. And then the female might, might be like, oh, actually, I don't like this guy very much. I'm not going to let him mate a second time. But he's already got that kind of first male sperm advantage in, um, in the one side. What's their lifespan? So female black widows can live for a couple of years. Males, it's, it's on the order of months. So he, he kind of, he might take a couple months to get to maturity. And then if he's lucky, maybe two or three months before he dies. But oh. basically his whole adult life is like, become a, become a mature adult, charge up your petty palps, leave your web, go off searching for females, hopefully find a female mate, maybe find another female mate and then die. But the vast majority of males die without ever finding a female. In my PhD work, we, we estimated that about more than 80% of males never find a female. That's so wow. sad. It is, it is a sad life for a, for a Black Widow male. Um, and so they give it everything they've got once they, once they find a female. Uh, and how they do that is the other way that Black Widows communicate, which is using their sense of smell. So the female has uh, pheromones on her web, which are like a chemical cocktail that uh, wafts off of the silk. And then from a distance, the male can, can detect that pheromone and it provides information about where the female is, whether or not she's mated before and whether or not she's hungry, which is important because if she is hungry, she might not even bother with letting the male court and mate with her. She might just eat him because she's more interested in, in a meal and uh, getting big and fat with eggs before she mates with the male. So, yeah, I was going to go back to the name Black Widow. Where does that come from? And is that scientifically accurate? Or is that because we had a, a you're sort of a part two to our episode about bats, where we had a sure. lovely man named Merlin Tuttle on who talked about bats and how uh, they get a bad name and all this kind of stuff. So, like, I feel like Black Widow is like bad branding. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know Merlin. He's awesome. Of course so... you do. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. Yeah. yeah, like bats and snakes, spiders get a bad rap, and and Black Widow was was not a super super good choice in terms of branding. It's accurate in that some species in the widow genus, which so there's actually more than thirty spiders that are are considered widow spiders, but they're not all black. So in North America, we have several species of black widows: northern, southern, western. Um, there's also a red widow that's endemic to Florida. There is a is white widow. Is it my widow. mom? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are white widows, brown widows. So they're not all black. And there are two species, the Australian redback, 
and the brown widow, which actually have obligate sexual cannibalism. So the male, almost as a rule, during copulation, when he's stuffing sperm into the female, um, they're kind of face to face. He's on top of her with, with one of his petty palps engaged with her genital opening. He does this little somersault and puts his abdomen right up in front of her face, like inviting her to start eating him. So they do sexual cannibalism. Like that's their thing. The female starts nibbling on him during that first copulation, but they actually have an adaptation where they kind of cinch in their waist so that they don't bleed to death while the female is is chewing on them. And that allows them to survive long enough to copulate a second time, (laughs) keep transferring sperm. So they're kind of like, they got one shot to mate. It's mate, let the female eat you and then you're done. But it turns out that if they let the female eat him, he's able to transfer sperm for longer and father more of that female's offspring. So it's like, it is advantageous for him, even though it doesn't seem like a great idea um, to let the female kill you. But, but he's dead? With, with, yes, he's, he's dead, but he's passed on his genes. So he's one in terms of, of evolution. So is there a more like scientific name for them other than Black Widow? Yes. Or? Yeah. So the genus is called Latrodectus. The sort of classic Black Widow that most people think of is called Latrodectus mactans. That's the Southern Black Widow and sort of the one that everyone thinks of with the shiny Black body and the red hourglass. But the Western Widow, which is the one that I've done most of my work on, which lives um, sort of from Mexico, Texas, California, all the way up into Western Canada, is called Latrodectus hesperus, and it looks very similar. So are they poisonous to people? They are venomous. And the difference between venomous and poisonous is it's like, sorry to be a, a No, tell this us. Is what um, we tell want us, to know. Tell us. <laughs> Poison is when you eat it and it makes you sick. And venom is when, or venom is when it bites you and makes oh, you sick. Great to um, know. That's huge for <laughs> us. Yeah, so like mushrooms. Mushrooms are poisonous if you eat them and they make right. you sick. Or a toad or something, if you touch it, um, can be poisonous. Or lick it, you know. If you ingest it, it's it's poisonous. Whereas the venom is like where an animal, like a spider or a snake that has fangs, like bites you and injects venom. So almost all spiders have venom. Black widows are one of the few groups of spiders, or the widows in general, in that genus Latrodectus. They are considered medically important, which means they can make humans sick. They don't bite humans often. Bites are super rare events. And most people, like, they get bitten, and then it's pretty unpleasant, and then they're fine. And, like, no medical intervention is required. Worst case, if it's a small child or an elderly person or someone with a heart condition or something like that that puts them at higher risk, they might get treated with antivenom and with with drugs for the pain. But again, it's like, it's generally not a life-threatening situation. It's just very unpleasant. There's a lot of cramps and pain and sweating is involved. A lot of sweating. Okay, here's a lie that, I think it's a lie that camp counselors told me my whole life, is that we would see spiders. And then I remember they would always say, someone would always say, well, the spiders are venomous, but their mouths are so small, they can't bite people. Please call out these liars. So uh, it it depends on the specifics of of what they were telling you because it's like it could maybe partially be true. the The common myth that I hear that that sounds like is that daddy long legs, which is a whole is a problematic term because daddy long legs refers to three different groups of arthropods: cellar spiders, which are true spiders; 
harvest men, which I prefer to call harvest persons, and <laughs> which are not spiders. They're, they're an arachnid, uh, so they're spider relatives, but they have no venom. And then the third one is crane flies. So those are insects, and they also have like really long legs. But the ones that are spiders, the cellar spiders that you often see like in your bath and they're super spindly legs, those are, they do have venom and they do have tiny puny little fangs that probably couldn't puncture human skin. But even if they did, the venom wouldn't hurt you. And that's the case for most spiders, like small spiders, most of them probably couldn't puncture human skin or would have a really hard time doing so. Some species of spiders have really big burly fangs and could give you a good nip. But again, aside from the black widows and the recluse spiders and a few other groups that have that have venom that can make humans sick or um, cause more serious injuries, even if the spider did bite you, it wouldn't be a big deal. Maybe at worst, like a bee sting or a wasp sting, because the venom is for subduing prey and their prey are insects and other spiders. So the proteins in the venom that are active are kind of uh, designed to act against insects, not vertebrates. The exception is with the black widows. They have this neurotoxic venom and it's sort of an accident of evolution that they make us so sick. We're not their prey. They have no interest in eating us or getting anywhere near us. They're actually super shy. And like, if you poke a black widow, she'll like curl up into a ball or drop off her web. Or like at worst, she might start flinging sticky silk at you to kind of try to get you to, to, to stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> So they're actually cute. really cute. <laughs> She's like, no, like, yeah. Um, so the reason for that is like humans aren't prey for black widows, but they have evolved to prey on very small vertebrates. So they can eat a tiny baby mammal or small snakes, small lizards, small frogs, things like that. And so they have evolved uh, a kind of venom that is effective against vertebrates. And we're vertebrates too. So if we get bitten in defense, which normally only happens in situations where the spider is like inside your clothes or your shoes that you left out in the shed and they built a web and then like you put them on and the spider's trapped against your skin and then they might bite defensively, then their venom can make us sick. But it hasn't, like it's not meant to be really a defense against humans and other other vertebrates because it takes like five or 10 minutes to even notice that they've bitten you. So it's like, they don't want to be bit biting you. That's not a good way for them to defend themselves. That's why that, you know, step one is like run away, curl into a ball, like try to avoid. They're, they're very conflict averse, black widows, because they're actually not well defended. They're that big, shiny, round abdomen is like, if you poked it with a pin, they'd bleed to death. So they don't want to get anywhere near anything like sharp or pointy or scary and dangerous. Is it true that we eat eight spiders in our sleep Stop a year? It. I don't want to talk about that. That we don't need no, to talk about. It's that. not Absolutely true. Not. I'm oh, saying it's God. not true. Thank God. Absolutely not. Spider has no reason to go into your mouth. Thank not a you. thing. Promise. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. What do you love about spiders the most? If you could pick one thing. I love their behavior. I, I'm particularly enamored of their courtship displays and the way that they dance for each other. So the Black Widows dance on the web, but all spiders do it differently. And just like the diversity, there's over 50,000 species of spiders wow. worldwide and they all have slightly different ways 
of courting and and trying to convince one another to mate with them. And it's just so fascinating to watch them and learn about them. And I'll put in a plug for what I call the gateway spider, which is the uh, uh, peacock spider. They're these tiny little spiders in Australia. And they're like super, super small, barely see them. They are rainbow colored and they have these flaps on their abdomen that they raise and then they they lift up their butt and it looks like a peacock's tail and they wave it around at the female and they dance back and forth with their arms in the air and they're just the most adorable little things. And there's a whole bunch of different species of peacock spider that all have different colors and different dances. If you go on YouTube, search peacock spider, you will not be disappointed and you can't not find them adorable. And you have to remember that they're super teeny tiny, like they couldn't hurt you and they look like little tiny cats. They're, they're jumping spiders, which, are, which is a family of spiders that are active hunters and they stalk their prey just like cats and kind of pounce on them. And if you find a jumping spider in your house, zebra jumping spiders in North America, super common to find in and around your house, you can actually use a laser pointer and play with them like a cat and they'll, they'll chase the laser pointer. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I... I have so many thoughts racing through my brain. I, I've noticed a trend that people will have spiders as pets, right? Like they'll have like a tarantula as a pet or like, do these spiders know who their owners are? Like, is there any sort of bonding that can happen between a spider and a human? I don't think so. Again, because they have such a different kind of communication and sensory system from us, it's not quite like like cats and dogs, which are also mammals and kind of have similar vibes, I guess, to humans. <laughs> and, and, you know, we can like, like they can see us and, and relate to us in that way, like tarantulas and, and most of the spiders that you, that you had have as a pet, like they probably can't see you. They probably don't really know that you're there. Like when people take out their pet tarantulas, like they're often very docile and you can kind of handle them. But if they're walking on your hand, you're basically the ground to them. You're like not a friend. This will be so devastating much. to some this people. Will be, this is going <laughs> to rip some people's worlds wide, wide open. open. <laughs> but I mean, that doesn't mean that the spider doesn't appreciate the, the care and attention that you give it. If you give it tasty treats yeah. and like provide it with a good, a good environment to hang out in. So like, yeah, I think keeping tarantulas as pets is, is super cool. And they're, they're beautiful and, and fascinating. I have a couple myself and uh, yeah, they're awesome pets. So why are people scared of spiders? Is there some kind of like evolutionary something or is it just because like they've been associated with Halloween and like, how did that happen? And like, they have so many legs. Is that why? Like, I don't care about spiders. I like them. I think they're cute. But I have people in my life who will not, e can't even look at them. Yeah, you can't look at an ant. Oh, I hate ants. <laughs> We will never have an ant specialist on this show because I'll be I'll be like you're the devil. <laughs> He'll be crying. Uh, I will try to hook you up with some cool ant people who convince you that ants are cute and no. awesome. Um, <laughs> Demons, but, and but I yeah, hate them. So that's it's a big question why why people are afraid of spiders. One thing you said was they have too many legs. And, and that's actually a pretty good answer. So a colleague of mine named Rick Vetter, who's an arachnologist, he actually did a little study of entomologists. He surveyed entomologists who are people who study insects, legs, right? Yeah. Insects have six legs. And like, I can't remember how many or what proportion of people responded saying that they were scared of spiders, but they're not like, but there are a lot of 
entomologists out there who study bugs for a living, who find spiders scary. And one of the main reasons was too many legs. Like that. <laughs> so six, six is, is okay. Eight is bad. <laughs> eight is not okay. It's like, that's the threshold, apparently. I don't know why. And so is, is it evolutionary? Like there's some research that provides evidence for kind of an innate fear of, of spider-like things. Like the one that comes to mind, I think that was like, they showed babies, like, you know, kind of drawings of things that were random or kind of spider-like or kind of like not spider-like. And they had a reaction to the spider-like ones. Some people think that, that, that it's adaptive to be afraid of spiders and snakes because they could potentially harm you. And so it's, it's a good thing to kind of be aware of them and avoid them. I don't really buy that argument for spiders because there's so few kinds of spiders that, that can really cause harm to humans. And like, it's, it's not a very strong selective pressure if like, you know, I don't know what the, what the um, percentage would be, but like the rate of someone being bitten by a spider and dying from it would be so low that it like, it doesn't seem likely that that would um, cause uh, like a, a fear of spiders to evolve. And frankly, it seems like fear of spiders itself is kind of more harmful to humans than, than the spiders are because a lot of people are arachnophobic and can't look at a spider and like have a really hard time, you know, going through the world being worried about spiders. So I don't really buy the idea that it's, um, that it's an adaptive kind of evolved response. I do think there's definitely learning involved and like you, you can have kids who, and my experience as, as an educator, when I do outreach stuff, especially with kids, little kids tend to be totally fearless and super excited about all kinds of creepy crawlies and excited about spiders and stuff. And then there's kind of an age at which they've started going to school and learning from teachers and friends and family members that spiders are gross and scary where they, I think, I think a lot of it is learned. Snakes, no legs. We hate it. Six legs, fine. Eight legs, bad. There's a real spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, four legs, you know, like vertebrates. Four legs, we love bears. it. Yeah, four <laughs> legs is awesome. Yeah. My boyfriend is always telling me that we should never get rid of the spiders in the house because they kill the other insect. My fiance says that. <laughs> what is that true? Like, is it a, like, is a spider likely causing- going to like climb on your face while you're sleeping or will they keep to themselves? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Are they helping the, you know, the house more than hurting? Yes. I always tell people spiders are far more helpful than they are harmful. And there are spiders in your house, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or no, not. No, I know it. I uh, see I them. It- <laughs> <laughs> we named two uh, of ours. We, my friend nice. Drew named them Leopold and Loeb. I love that. <laughs> yeah, those, those spiders in your house, if there's insects in your house, which there probably are, there's going to be spiders in your house and their job is eating insects. They're great roommates. Great to have in your garden, in your house, because they are eating all of the bugs. So absolutely leave them alone. If they're in a place where you don't want them to be, you know, you can kind of relocate them somewhere where, where, yeah, if they're in the shower, like that's just a dangerous place for a spider to be. So you can escort them to a more appropriate room or into the garden, and they are going to be doing an excellent job eating flies, mosquitoes, anything that's wandering around on the floor, cockroaches, stuff like that. Spiders are free, natural pest control. (laughs) I 
love that. And they and they don't go into your bed at night to to bite you. That's not a thing. They don't go into your mouth. I mean, occasionally, so male spiders wander because the male has to go and find a female to mate with. So like it could happen that a male spider wanders across your bed in search of a female because he's following those sweet, sweet pheromones. Uh, but that's going to be a rare event. And don't worry about it. <laughs> what the hell is this? We eat eight spiders a year shit. It's it's by the anti-spider movement. What in the Snapple The anti-spider lobbies out there spreading these lies. Yeah, I, I don't know where it came from. It makes no sense to me. Someone made it up. Wild. I have I have like one final question before we move on, which is like, this is kind of like a weird question, but is there anything that like you're hoping to extract from your research in these spiders to apply to, to humans or to anything outside of the spider world? So I don't think we can learn a lot. Like I especially study like spider sex and communication and we can't really learn much about like human sexuality and communication from spiders because we're just so different. And I think it can be dangerous to kind of try to extrapolate from, from animal studies to humans. But I do think that there are opportunities for people studying spiders to learn things that are useful for humans. Like there's tons of work on spider silk and venoms that has practical applications for, for humans, like using venoms to develop drugs and pesticides and things like that. It's like that if they have these proteins in their venom, that are active against insects, we can kind of use that to develop natural-based pesticides to, to kill insects that are pests in, in crops and things like that. And um, personally, like I, I research spider behavior and ecology, but I've also recently started doing some work on how spiders are represented in the media. So some yeah. colleagues and I actually just had a paper that came out where we, we looked at the quality of the news about spiders and whether it was you know accurate whether it was sensationalist and what kind of drives that and what dri drives the spread of misinformation. And, um, and I think we can actually learn something about like the spread of fake news and yeah. kind of like the online connectedness of, of media. Mm -hmm. to, like I think spiders can be kind of a model for understanding that kind of thing. So that's the closest that I get to kind of studying or to, to relatability to humans. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, that makes yeah, a lot of really sense. Yeah, that's really cool. Good like, question. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, would you like to play a game show? Yes, I would love to. Yay. So this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And I arbitrarily uh, decide who wins. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty loosey-goosey. Okay, perfect. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of 14 years gets into a horrible lawnmower accident that lands them in a coma. When they wake up 72 days later, they confess that they went to a sort of spiritual limbo where they fell in love with another coma patient and had a lot of limbo sex with them. When you look into it, you find out the person they were talking about actually exists and is in a coma in Australia. Would you forgive this cheater? Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's so much to learn here. Oh, my God. <laughs> we've unlocked like a spiritual realm and people can fuck there. This is this is like everything I've ever wanted to know. 
This is incredible. We got to get, we got to, I don't know. Why did I think NASA? We got to go somewhere and study this. Where, where do we go to do that? I, I agree. Yes. And I also want to know, like, can, can, do we know who the coma patient is in Australia? Like, can we get in touch with their partner and like hang out and. Can we and- wake her up? Wake her up. <laughs> you can't wake just wake somebody up. up from a coma. I mean, but now you're also dealing with the fact that they're kind of missing this other person they've been with for the last 72 days. Well, you know what would be interesting? Bring them to Australia and then and then maybe that person, my sp- uh, spouse can say, hey, your wife is doing okay. Oh, that's nice. She's happy in the limbo. I talked to her. I fucked her. I fucked her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I love and it. Like, you're doing and like there she's at peace, you know? Yeah. Then the guy gets so mad he immediately pulls the plug. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> or 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 maybe you all end up like in in a polyam relationship together. Yeah. On many levels of existence. See? They got glasses like me talking about polyamory. <laughs> Spider world is hit, baby. Uh, Gabby's gonna be sliding into your DM shortly, <laughs> I'm sure. Um <laughs> Okay, I think we all agree. Yeah, I think I'd be most jazzed that there was just a limbo. Right? That's I, cool. Yeah, I would sort of just breeze past the, the all the sex. This is like this show that I, I know you're a scientist. I do apologize. But this is like this show that I like called The Ghost Inside My Child. Oh, which no. is about children who are, I think, like reincarnated or are, are possessed by ghosts. And it's these kids being like, uh, they're like, you know, six years old. And they're like, I died in a plane crash in 1945 or whatever. It's crazy. And then they know all these details about the person. They figure out that it's a real person. Yeah. I'm, I'd love for that stuff to be true. I know. Me too. Ghost inside my child. Check it out. <laughs> oh, no. I work for them. Okay. Catherine's like, no. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Our next one. Are you a terrible parent? You There's are- a ghost inside your child. <laughs> <laughs> I do that one next week. Okay. (laughs) You are 79 years old with a bad hip. The doctor says you can no longer live by yourself. You ask your adult children what you should do, hoping one of the six of them will say they will take you in. They all suggest you move into a retirement home and then never visit you because the home they pick is in Alaska. Are you a terrible parent? Did they say why they don't need to move in? No, they just like they all you kind of gave them the option. You said, what should I do? And they said, why don't you move into this home in Alaska? And then you never see them again. Why Alaska? Well, that's a question. Maybe they don't like you. Yeah. So they don't like me. I wonder why. What did I do? Well, this is the question. Do you think that means you're a terrible parent? Retirement community because I, I get it. But also choosing one very far away and then never visiting you. I think that means you were a bad parent. What do you think? Yeah, there's not enough information, really, but I tend to agree. But I I don't know. Like, maybe you always wanted to live in Alaska. No, you didn't. You've you've had a deep-seated fear of Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) No! Are there spiders in Alaska? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are spiders in every terrestrial habitat on Earth. There aren't spiders in Antarctica, but there's definitely spiders in, in the Arctic. So if you hate spiders, move to a nursing home in Antarctica. (laughs) I mean, I think the options are that you've done something wrong as a parent that all of your children hate you. 
Yeah. Or maybe all my, all my kids are just assholes. That's the other option. Well, but how yeah. do all of them become assholes without me influencing them to be assholes? Maybe their other parents are real asshole. And they just mm-hmm. never spent any time with me? Or they just, I don't know. Okay, because I think you have six kids in the hopes that one of them will take care like of you. you. <laughs> right. So I got to say you're a bad parent. Yeah. It's not looking good. I'm, I'm leading that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you made the game. What do you mean it's not looking good? You can decide. It's your game. Oh, I will say that you actually do find a really lovely community in that retirement home in Alaska. That's nice. Yes. Yeah. The end of your life, you are filled with loved ones. Okay. <laughs> which is great. Which is better better than than having to you know impose on one of your kids who doesn't want you there. So. Yeah. You die holding hands with a polar bear. That was my dream. <laughs> Oh, my God. Just, don't hold hands with the polar bear. I was about please. to say, the scientist is about to tell us, don't hold hands with a polar Fine. bear. They don't really bring you Coca-Cola. I have a question. If if it would let me, can I pet a squirrel? I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> if it would let me, don't pet a raccoon, right? Rabies? Yeah. Well, and, and Like any wild animal, just not a good idea to touch Fine. them. Got it. Fine. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Okay, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? Your partner of two years proposes, and you're absolutely delighted. They tell you that they found the ring in your favorite vintage shop, and we're told it's one of a kind. Seven months later, you get an advertisement on Instagram for the exact same ring that is clearly being mass-produced in modern times. It is also not made with real stones or quality gold. Would you forgive this liar? Gabby is shooketh, having just received a vintage engagement ring from their partner. (laughs) Oh, no. That would be a whole conspiracy, that their entire family is in on it being Grandma Terry's. I never met Grandma Terry. Now I'm like, is Grandma Terry real? (laughs) I would be upset. Yeah. And why why would you be upset? Like, I mean, why? Why did did they they do it? Yeah. Yeah. They said they did it because um, it was what they could afford, but they knew that you had wanted a vintage ring and they wanted you to be impressed with them. But a vintage, you can get, vintage means anything. You can go get a vintage ring that is like 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think this means that the relationship is doomed because, because they like, they don't, they don't trust you enough or like know you well enough, know me well enough to be like, I would be happy with whatever ring, like. Exactly. I actually, to be honest, I don't want a ring at all, but that's another story. But like, yeah, like, you know, $25 ring from, from, from the thrift shop or whatever, like that would be cool. Yeah. This ring was free because it came from the grandmother. But you had to get it resized. Okay. So it was like 60 bucks. bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's really sad. And also that they thought I wouldn't find out. Bad way to start. A, uh, yeah. a long-term relationship. All right, so we don't forgive them, but do you keep the no. ring? Well, how much is it worth? No. It's worth $300. Well, uh, I don't mind the ring being $300. I mind that they lied about it being one of a kind. Would you throw it at them? As I leave? Yeah. Throw it at them, <laughs> put a glass of wine in their face, and say, I don't forgive this liar, and then storm out. <laughs> That's the end of the movie we make in 15 years. Exactly. We finally make a JBU movie. Yeah, Uh-oh. there's no reason for it. I, I wouldn't throw the ring, but I would give it back. I'd be like, I, yeah. I don't want this. 
You don't need it. Also, I love the idea of my partner go- using my computer to search for this ring, thinking that the ad won't come up. <laughs> what in the... This person doesn't realize how you... I mean, uh, even us just talking about it in front of my phone, I'm probably yeah. going to get an ad for a ring like that. So... <laughs> That's a good point. Much harder to to sneak by things in the age of Instagram ads. Yeah, I would. You know what? That's a great point. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I am blown away by my knowledge now. And, and Gabby is in love with you. And uh, where can people find you and more about you? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Katerania. And I also have a blog called Spider Bites, which is uh, spider and then bites with a Y, like information rather than bites because spiders don't bite. Oh, I love that. I literally was looking for a spider expert and I Googled like spider expert, like came up on you or Twitter came up and I was like, did I invent this person from my dreams? Like, I don't (laughs) understand how this happened. Thank you. I'm so glad you found me. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about scandalous dancing. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topic. X, 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 baby. 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 Ooh. So I asked John for a topic for this week's episode. Who's John? Very <laughs> Don't worry. Did you worry. see the TikTok comment that was like, that guy's Allison's assistant? No. <laughs> Pretty funny. Because <laughs> somebody was like being mean and then yeah. they responded with that John was your assistant, which made it <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah, in many ways we assist each other. So yeah. that, that is, yeah. Um, well, he, I said, I said, I need a topic for JBU. Give me a topic for JBU. And he came up with a pretty good topic which was um, the scandal around the Finnish prime minister being caught dancing. Okay, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting about this is how ridiculous it is that this was even a scandal. But basically, the the prime minister, the prime minister of Finland, Santa Marin, is this 36-year-old prime minister who's of the so- Social Democratic Party and has been prime minister since 2019. And basically, the, this video came out where she's, like, dancing and, like, Singing posing with, with her friends. friends. There's alcohol. Like, it's, like... It's like a private gathering. It's not even it's like party. at a club or anything. No, it's a party at someone's house. And people were furious and like people like called for her to resign. And oh it's just like God. bananas. And they also like pushed for her to take a drug test. Um, and so she, <sighs> she took the drug test, but obviously it like came back negative. And so I just like wanted to talk about like the the bonkers world in which like female politicians are not even allowed to like have a life outside of the office. Well, it was interesting. Hillary Clinton posted a video Mm -hmm. of herself dancing. And then Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez posted a video of herself dancing. But I remember the scandal when the video of AOC came out where she was dancing on a rooftop for like a college project or something. It was a high school school project. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And and the people were like, oh, my God. Like, it it is this double-edged sword for women where you're like, they, you need to keep up appearances and look good in order to like be you know, in the political sphere, like even the fact that like, you know, they go, they come after female politicians for how much they spend on clothes and stuff like that. And then like, but then like the male politicians can look like absolute gargoyles and that's like completely fine. And also that like 
they're like literally sexually harassing people and like groping pages and like doing horrible things. And everyone's just like, that's fine. Like, are you kidding me for dancing in a private place? They're just mad that she's hot is the thing. They're upset that she's hot. They're upset that she's like, like, they're breathing. They're just like mad at, they're just like mad at women. They're just mad at women. They don't like women. Just say you don't like women. Yeah, I read this like New York Times article, like kind of exploring like why it was such an issue. And they were kind of saying that like, it is still hard for people to conceptualize that women can be in powerful political roles. And like, so then they, the idea of what a woman would look like in that political role is very rigid. So you have to, you have to just appear a certain way because it's already bumping up against them, like not being even okay with women being in that role at all. No, but then if she was, if she was like, very cold and just did her job, they'd be like, I don't like her. She's a bitch. Right. There's oh, no winning. Totally. It's just yeah. women breathe and they're like, mm, don't like that. Yeah. It's like you can't like you're either like an ugly woman who's a bitch or you're like a hot woman. And and you, me wanting to have sex with you makes me uncomfortable. So I hate you. Like it's like America's we haven't had a hot president since JFK. And I'm angry. <laughs> you don't think Obama was yeah. hot? I guess Obama was hot. I guess that's true. He was sexy and he was allowed to do stuff, right? He danced. He played Spider-Man in the, he played Spider-Man with a kid in the Oval Office. He did all kinds of stuff. But you know what? People were mad at him. He wore a tan suit. People were mad at him. Yep. So I think he's, it's just like any, probably any marginalized person. Even, I want to say back in the day, JFK was Catholic and that was seen as a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And then they murdered him. So it's just like nonsense. Like, also, Trump was golfing for 90% of his presidency. Like, I mean, but uh, he did horrendous things and is still doing horrendous things. And he's exalted by his base. Yeah. It's just a waste of time. You know what? You know what took away from her ability to govern? Not that one night of partying. Y'all being judgmental and then making her take a drug test. Also, Trump was definitely on drugs his entire presidency. Also. Allegedly. Whatever. Sue me. Also, like, it's just ridiculous. It's just a waste of time. And it's like um, paternalizing and just so annoying. Yeah, I think it's really hard to, like, see, like, a woman in political power have a full life. Yeah. It's the smart, hot paradox. It's like you can't be both smart and hot and popular and have friends. Like, like, she just has friends, y'all. But it's, like, with social media, you know, like, we're seeing more of people's, like, private lives and, like, right. their life outside of the office. And people are just, like, their brain is glitching because they, like, can't comprehend that they're not in work mode all of the time. Yeah, it's, like, what is professionalism, you know? Mm-hmm. JFK had sex with every woman he looked at. Like, are we supposed to be, like... Well, he was too busy doing that to govern. Why am I going back so far? (laughs) Why am I going back so far? Because it's this thing of like, oh, well, you know, they were too busy doing X, Y, and Z to like, they weren't governing. And it's like every president, I mean, Clinton. I know, that's what I was saying. We can go to Clinton. We can talk about Trump. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's ridiculous. These These male politicians are just I mean I don't know it's so weird or like if a female politician has a hobby people get really weird about it breathing but I I like that like the response has been a lot of like you mentioned like Hillary Clinton like 
posting that photo of or that video of her dancing. Like I think like a lot of people have come out um, like supporting this side of her. There's like there was a hashtag that was going around um, hashtag solidarity with sauna. And so I think that it's sometimes when these scandals happen, it can put a spotlight on how sexist the system still is. And so it sort of like allows for like kind of like a rallying cry, like back at it, Mm -hmm. you know, like it like allows people to like call out the the blatant sexism where sometimes the sexism is more sneaky and behind the scenes and it's easier to deny where with something like this, it's like uh, people were able to like really kind of like rally behind her and be like, you keep dancing. I'm going to keep dancing too. Like the oceans are boiling. Are people okay? Like, there's other stuff. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's, like, people in our own country are starving. Like, it's not a third world problem. Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people, like, maybe subconsciously what they're recognizing in seeing a female prime minister dance at a private gathering is change, right? Ah. And so then it's like, they can't accept change. They don't want change. And so then they attack the thing that that symbolizes it for them. Hmm. change that women are doing things. Yeah, that like that that the type that that what they used to view as what a a prime minister was is now changing and becoming more nuanced and more complex and not as one sided. And that bumps up against like their perception of the world and they like can't handle it and they don't want things to be different. That's my 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 armchair psychology perspective of it. People are visual creatures. And how often has someone been elected because they looked like a president? Yeah. What does that even look like? Yeah. Hopefully one day, Melissa, because I'm still supporting your campaign. Oh, yeah. You're running for president, right? I'm old enough now. (laughs) Please. I would love it if you ran. Okay. What party, though? Bad bitch party. Oh, okay. We're making a new party. (laughs) What do we rate this episode? I rate it seven out of six. Wear whatever you want to the wedding. Yes. I'll rate it uh, 20 out of 13 dancing spiders and prime ministers. Oh, you took all the stuff. I'll have to rate it 47 out of 22 signature scents. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you to Dr. Catherine Scott for being our guest and for being in my heart. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye! Forever! Yeah.